Today is about taming the tongue. Everybody say, oh, I'm glad I came today. <laughs> the tongue, the voice, the words that we speak. God has been investing into my heart this, this area of thought for quite a while. As, as far back as our a series that we did this past year in the book of James, so much of my thoughts today are coming back to that book. I, I realized there were some passages of Scripture there in James chapter 3 that I didn't spend enough time on, and therefore it made sense uh, to, to bring it to the surface again, to highlight some key areas that I know will help us craft uh, these thoughts throughout the month of March as we build lasting family. I want to start uh, today with James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Ironically, we're going to start at the end of the chapter and maybe look back at a few verses uh, in, in the book of, of James chapter 3. This is coming from the message version, and we'll, we'll uh, transition from there in a few minutes. But look at this. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with each other. Wow. It is a gentle and, and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating each other with, the dig with dignity and with honor. It's that verse right there, verse 18, that I believe if we live this out, it will prevent CLA, it will prevent this community, it will prevent our own families from just being a gig or a scene or event that we do. But actually, it will ensure that we become, all of us, we become a true, the truest sense of the word family. It's right there in verse 18. Only if we do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating one another with dignity and honor will it ensure that we, we see the truest sense of the word family manifest in our lives. We need to use our words well and live with extraordinary wisdom. That's what James chapter 3 is all about, these two components. And I promise you that we will experience extraordinary benefit from treating one another with dignity and honor. We will experience the differences that are so needed in our culture and in our world right now. Who thinks that being a part of the solution is much more valuable than being a part of the noise? I think that is, that is imperative of our reputation as the church. There's a lot of noise out there right now about faith community and, and what, what we're standing for and what we're investing into. And I'm not up here on the stage this morning uh, to share my opinion. But what I'm up here today to do is to hopefully help us craft an understanding that everything we say and everything that we do is so, so vital. And I don't think it's been more important uh, now than ever before. I, th I think now is more important than ever before because of the amount of stigma, the amount of disconnect, the amount of disunity that we're seeing even in the church right now. And I believe 
Who believes this with me? That it's not hopeless. That the Holy Spirit can help us navigate properly with wisdom. And every word that we say is an example and a representation of God's character. I think that is so, so important. Now, let me explain this to you because it's not, it's not, it's not easy to do. And in fact, James explains that it's impossible to do in our own strength. Yet we do serve a God that can give us something supernatural to help us in this area. I want to just pray and, and, and set the stage this morning, and then we'll continue. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you that your heart is to see us thrive. Lord, it is, it is, it is so important that during these times that we, that we are focused on your heart, focused on your character, on, on, on the model that Christ gave us through the Gospels and really all through the Scriptures of how to be and how to present ourselves and how to thrive with, un with one another in order to build something that lasts, in order to build something that has strength in the foundations so that we can last for a long time. Lord, I'm not interested in coming for a season and having a strong influence, but then it dying down six months, a year, two years later. Lord, I'm interested in longevity. I'm interested in, in a thriving environment for every single person that calls CLA home, for this community. Would you continue to impart that in our hearts through this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I must say, uh, the relationship aspect of this series certainly involves me thinking about my wife, Devin. Everybody that knows Devin knows that we are um, very different people, yet together we are, we are dynamite. Can I say that? You're supposed to laugh at that. She, she, she teaches me how to, um, uh, to, to, to be strong and to, and to make decisions and like lead with, with confidence. I teach her how to be patient and kind. It's a wonderful thing. No. <laughs> Some of you who know us well would understand that. Uh, I, of course, I say that with, with so much grace and honor towards Devin. She is an incredible woman. And I am in love with this woman. And I remember back when we first started dating, I, um, I can say that I haven't really lived up to some of the, the expectation that I, I put on, on who I am after 13, almost 14 years of marriage. There is... There is a significant disconnect to the dating season and the engaged season to where we are today. Not, not that we don't, I think we love each other more and more today than we ever did, but there's something about the, 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 the journey towards winning the heart of a woman. Who's, who's with me today? Some of you are in that season right now. I'm not here to point to anybody out. But it is, it is a real thing when we are dating and when we're engaged and we're giving our lives to someone else and wanting them to see the best in us. I remember Devin loves competition. She loves, she loves games and, and, and challenges and scavenger hunts. 
this is who she is. We both grew up doing camps and, and church camp and, and investing into, into young people our whole lives. This is who we are. That's part of what brought us together. And I used to do these types of things with her when we were dating, uh, challenging one another with... Um, with anything that we could put competition to, we would, and it was amazing. All the way to our, our actual engagement, some of you know the story. I put most men to shame when it comes to how I crafted this engagement experience. I say that with total confidence. I'm very proud of myself. I took my wife, I involved literally like 25 people in this engagement story. Uh, it it, it uh, all took place in Whistler, British Columbia, where Devin is from, uh, she's from Vancouver. I brought her, her, um, her job into the equation, those, her manager and all of those that were a part of that. I brought some friends involved. I even brought strangers into the story. And I essentially took Devin, uh, unbeknownst to her, to Whistler in a limousine all by herself, thinking she was going to do some work. Um, and she got there, and long story short, I took her on this scavenger hunt all through the town of Whistler, and about three-quarters of the way through, she realized, oh my goodness, I'm getting engaged. I'll tell you more about it if you want one day. It, it's an extraordinary story of, uh, of passion and love for a human being wanting to put my best foot forward. Who's with me? Gentlemen? Anybody? It is an amazing thing to, to win the heart of a woman. Now, I must say, she would agree with this 100%. After the engagement, I haven't done one more scavenger hunt for her in 14 years. Oops, thank you, Michael. It is an oops. There is, there is something about those days putting together the beauty of who we are. And I would, I would say that what's most wrong with men is that we, we, when we win what we are desiring, then we stop doing what we're doing often. Now, that's not everybody, but this is potentially a spot, even for her, because I think it brings up a little bit of... Uh, you know, challenge in her heart where she realizes that I am not the, mo the, the, the same creative guy that I used to be. Now, I'm going to get back to that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. I know she's not in the room right now, but hold me to it. We're going to create some new stories around this. But I would say this, that it's extraordinary what we do for love. Who agrees? Love is a beautiful thing. Not even just love, but interest or infatuation or even just that, that, that passion, passionate pursuit towards someone or something. You will do things that you would not normally do. Devin lived in Vancouver. I lived in Calgary. Our relationship was long distance the entire time. I remember no word of a lie, saving up the money, spending the, the, the amounts of money that it takes to travel to and from. I didn't bat an eye. I would sacrifice this, 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 and this so that I could go see her and vice versa. It was, a, it, was, it was a season where you're just clouded and you're focused on something that you desire, that you believe God is in the middle of in our context, and nothing was going to get in the way. Who's with me? But then as soon as we, I, I, I say this as well with all honesty, as soon as we got back from the honeymoon and, we, and she chose 
thankfully, to move her whole life to Calgary, to invest into our city, move her business and all that she is to this wonderful city of Calgary. As soon as we landed and, and we started to build our family here in Calgary in that first couple weeks or months of marriage, I remember saying, so, babe, I'd like to... Um, at some point, set up a, you know, a visit back to Vancouver to go visit the family. And I can remember my response so clearly. Oh, babe, that's expensive. <laughs> Are you sure we want to do that? It's a long drive. Or if we fly, like, maybe let's, let's reconsider and use that somewhere else. Who's with me right now? As soon as... As soon as the pursuit was accomplished, all of a sudden the value changed. And I recognized very clearly that that was not the approach to take with Devin. And we've been to BC many times over these years, and I'm a great husband, so thank you. <laughs> Somebody right over here. It's extraordinary what we will do. The big idea in chapter 3 and for this morning and it's all coming around, I promise you, is simply this, that if we have faith in something, if we love someone, then we will do crazy things for these very real convictions in our life. In this context, our faith, my faith, your faith, is a love affair with Jesus. That's this journey that we, that we are on as followers of Christ. So James is speaking to those in, in leadership, those of influence, those that desire to be the hands and feet of Christ, which I think is relevant to everyone in this room, I believe. Everyone listening online, we're all, we all relate to who James was speaking to. He was essentially saying that if you are in love with Jesus, there will be signs and signals and transformation and habits and priorities that will change. Why? Because we are in love. It needs to happen, and it needs to transform us from the inside out. James was passionate about Jesus. We know that he was the half-brother of Christ. He probably was the, the second oldest by means of how much they talk about him in Scripture and the, the lineage of family. But he, had, he was a skeptic. It wasn't until after the resurrection that there was a revelation of really who Jesus was. There was two elements that, that he really touched on in this chapter that I want to make sure that I communicate today is this idea, as I said, about our words and about wisdom and how we go about this each day. Look at how this chapter begins. Let's go all the way back to verse 1 of chapter 3 up on the screen. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble, all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Maybe a little sarcasm there, maybe a little bit of shifting our thinking towards the fact that, that it is possible to have a disciplined life, but it's impossible to do this in our own strength. It's impossible to figure this out with what we have in our carnal nature. There is a supernatural, supernatural connection to the Father, to His Holy Spirit that can give us something so grand. 
and help us navigate this life each day. Let's look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James is so intense with these words. But let's just celebrate, I believe, the fact that words have so much power. That's actually a really good thing. It can be a powerful, powerful a tool and weapon to dealing with the challenges that we face. If we use our words the right way, we can do extraordinary things. Words can shape our lives. They can transform us. Brings me back to a story of a friend who lives now in, in Phoenix most of his, his time. 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I can't remember what it was, but there's words spoken over him, negative words in the context of a business culture. And I'm telling you this so clearly that over the last 15 years, he has, he has been motivated by the negative words that were spoken over his life to prove something so different. He's, he's set up his whole business, his whole strategy, his whole thing around proving this person wrong. That's not a necessarily a good thing. And yet he's recognizing the value and the power of words 15 years ago that helped define who he became. And yet God says something so different that we need to be thinking about and considering and what we're holding on to in our lives. Words have power. You and I have spoken words of death over our children at times. We don't even realize it. We've spoken discouraging thoughts into our spouse. We have said things that have never been forgotten. I could say it like this. How many of you remember those moments 10 times as much as you remember the encouraging words that have been spoken? They have power. They have impact. They affect each and every one of us. Verse 3 to 5 there ends with something so extraordinary. Let's read it. If we put these things, the horse in our mouth and he obeys us, all of these things take place. It's talking in, in picture, and he's giving us some metaphor there. But he ends with this in verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Other versions say such a small spark that can create an absolute disaster. Church, I know that we are in this together. I know that all of us care about each other in some way or another as we're getting to know this family a little bit more each week. Some of you are much newer than others, but there is, there is power in how we speak to each other. It's, there is so much at stake on how we communicate to those that we love. Words are so powerful. They will shape our life. And if we think that we can tame our tongues in our own strength, I promise you we cannot. We could probably go a certain amount of time doing that, but there is at some point going to be a disconnect in a moment of challenge, of threat, of disconnect, of disappointment, of hurt, of bitterness. All of it is coming at us quickly and intensely 
like I've never seen before in my life. James 3, verse 8, let's skip to this. It says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil full of deadly poison. I want to make something abundantly clear this morning, that the goal of this passage is not that you attempt to tame your own tongue, because we can't do that, as I said. By trying harder, it will not, it will, it will not result in lasting transformation. That's just the reality of it, which leaves us, leaves us with only one option, and that is that we have to invite God into the equation. Now, that sounds so cliche, but it is absolutely imperative when it comes to our words and our approach and our demeanor and how we present ourselves. Sometimes it's not even about what we say. It's just about how we are in public, how we function, our demeanor with those around us. Look at the very first application for our lives here. It's this one example in community that James gives us in this passage. In verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and then with it, speaking of our words, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Think about this. This is, what hap this is what's happening thousands of years ago, and of course today as well. He says that you sing songs about how much you love God, and then you belittle or you overlook or ignore the marginalized, those that don't look like us or sound like us. This is something that we've been thinking about and talking about quite a bit lately as a church. But we do this sometimes completely subconsciously. People that aren't necessarily fit into that image that's comfortable. This is the example that we are given, absolutely. This is what James is talking about. We sing praises to God, we say hallelujah, but we can't stand this person or that group of people, maybe because of their ethnicity or because of their value system or because of who, who they've decided, uh, to, how they've decided to live their life. All of this plays into what James is talking about here. Maybe it's because of their history or their social status. All of it, all of it is relate, relatable to each of us. You say you love God with your words and actions, but you curse people with your words. Well, pastor, that's so harsh. I say it with such humility in my heart because the first guy that's guilty is up here. This is... This is what God has been speaking to me about so clearly over these, these months about how I conduct myself and how my heart posture towards people, towards those that I'm not comfortable with, to those that I don't understand. He continually is pushing the boundaries of understanding that all people are made in the image of God. And all of us have a part to play to help create a sense of, of care for those around us. James is giving us an incredible challenge, church. Anytime that you judge another human being, God feels that because, as I said, we are made in his image. And we are all made in his sight. We are all his children. Who agrees? Every single one. 
It's cool that we get together and we sing songs and we, we listen to teaching from, from many on this stage through the, the months and the years. It's a wonderful thing. I believe God loves that and he's all about it. But he's asking us the question, are we listening and caring for those who don't look like us or sound like us or agree with us? Are we making space for this in our lives, in our church, in, in the strategies that we're putting in place? I'm asking myself that. James was asking the Jewish people that in this letter that he wrote, specifically asking them about it. They were insulted at times by, by the traditions that weren't being met. Now, this word tradition is really important to look at because it, I think it applies just as much today as it did back then. This idea of who, who we are and what we value. What was happening in that moment and ever since the early church was established all the way to present time, which is today, was and is an intersection between tradition and truth. Hear me as I take a few minutes to talk about this. Here is why I believe people choose certain, uh, a certain church a lot of the time or a community to be a part of. And this is me as well. I'm speaking to myself. We choose a church that fits our tradition and not necessarily truth that God has to invest into our lives for that season or that time of life. And the reason for this is that we have been brought up with traditions and we have grown with an extreme level of comfortability with those traditions. And our brain does something really silly. Those traditions become synonymous with truth when in fact they never should have. The Bible says it that the traditions of men that do not allow the gospel to work in people's lives are not representing his character. Because we would rather protect our traditions than deal with the fact that the truth that just intersected the tradition and the tradition is burning up and away and he wants us to have nothing to do with it anymore yet we're holding on to certain things. And he's saying, I've got something brand new for today where truth, my truth, who I am can be expressed in a way that will have maximum impact on culture today. James is hitting us hard. And I pray that you hear my heart this morning, not as judgment, but as one who is on this journey, running right alongside each of you, trying to figure this out. If you're like me, you take a little piece of your past or a tradition and a little piece of truth and you merge them together, and you walk that path because it's comfortable. James comes in like a dad, and he says that that makes you God, and that's not, that's not okay. That is not for us to decide. That's for God to decide. We can't do that. James is contradicting their traditions. That's what he's doing here in this passage. Their prejudice and their way of life, he's saying, hey, you sing songs and you worship and you gather, yet you won't interact with people that don't look like you, and this is not okay. I can't tell you how 
convicting that this has been even in my own heart as I've been studying this over these weeks. It's so challenging, but I believe that if we all collectively put these things on the table and we let it unfold as God desires for CLA, I believe we'll experience extraordinary growth here at church. Not just growth in numbers, but growth in culture, in health, in, in a thriving, celebrating environment where God is at the center of everything that we do. Now, hear my heart on this. It's not that we're compromising the things that matter most, the absolutes. But it's about asking the Lord for courage to see things in, through a different lens so that we can be more relatable. We can be more present with exactly what's going on around us. I believe through the genius of the Holy Spirit that nothing is of surprise to, to God. And through his Holy Spirit, we can do extraordinary things. And that's why we are investing thousands of dollars into a collaboration studio. That, that doesn't necessarily makes sense in terms of a traditional sense of church, but what we're trying to do is, 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 is tap into the genius of the Holy Spirit and say, how can we make maximum impact on the creative community of Calgary and create a space that will, that will open their hearts up to the things of God in a way that they've never seen before? That's what this is about, church. It's not, we're not doing this for fun. There's a lot of other ways in the natural that I think we could spend money like that. But I'm saying, no, no, no. This is right. This is the Lord's leading. Let's be courageous and go after it. Just one example. I'm asking all of us as a community to exercise our faith and surrender these things to the Lord. The logical conclusion at times when I read this passage is, is sometimes, well, if I just do better and I try harder and I, and I work, I work as, as, as hard and strategically as I can that I'll be able to resolve some of these, these things. And I'm realizing that that's just not the case. There's something about a surrender to the Lord in all things that will help us grow as a faith community. I'm so guilty, as I said, of, of what's being talked about in verse 9. So, so guilty. And God is so graciously helping me realize that when I am devaluing people, not necessarily consciously, but certainly by the fears that manifest or the uncomfortability that at times might, might be present, that when I'm devaluing in those moments, that when I'm doing that, I'm actually painting a picture of who God is in, in a way that is, that is completely untrue. Everyone is made in his image. The logical thing about this is that we have the tools. We actually do have the tools to do this properly. Division, I believe, based on, on ethnicity or based on the disconnect culturally, or, 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 or different marginalized people groups around us. I believe this is 
one of, if not the most painful thing in the heart of Jesus right now. One of the top, the top things that he is addressing culturally right now. May I say it, one of the deadliest of sins that we as a church are a part of right now. Now, I know it's quiet in this room, and I'm coming at you intense today, but you all know my heart. My heart is, is to be a church that cares deeply about all people. And as I say these things, I'm speaking to myself, and I'm speaking to what's in me deep inside that's causing me to think a certain way or to act a certain way or to, to present myself a certain way, even sometimes through words that don't necessarily line up with what's going on in my heart. So I create this facade, but really what's going on deeply within me, God is desiring to adjust and to heal and to restore and to be made new so that I can see it through another lens. All of us struggle with this. If, I, if you say you don't struggle with this, I don't believe you. Humanity is broken, and we need the Lord to bring and breathe unity into culture. We do. The chapter continues in verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is, this is a, a, past, like a few verses here that we could just easily skip over or, or grab a little bit of truth from in our context, but what's actually being said right here in, 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 in light of, of the Jewish culture that this is being written to originally, there's so much truth and so much that, the, that, that James is trying to pull out here to hit the hearts of these people in that moment. When he's talking about the fig tree, he's referring to when Jesus brought it up in, in the Gospel of Luke, I think it is. Very, it's just a few verses where he talks about this. And when he's, when he's referring to the other piece there about the grapevine and the fig trees and the, oh, excuse me, the fresh water and the salt water. He's referring all the way back to Genesis when Moses struck the rock and the water that was present in that moment. All of this plays into some deep, intense understanding of who God is desiring for us to be. I don't have time, a ton to, to, to unpack this this morning, but essentially what took place Back in Genesis, when they were freed, the Israelites were freed, and they were on their way to the promised land, and they were starting to complain and, and become uh, discontent with what was taking place. They were thirsty, and there was this water, and, and, and he struck the water, and this, the tree represented in James here is representing that tree, and not just fresh water was produced in that moment, but it was actually sweet water, a sweet sense of the Spirit of God in, is, the, is what is taking place in that moment, that there is a desire from God for all humanity to turn our bitterness into something sweet, to turn our hearts that from, from being discouraged and overwhelmed and, and, and unforgiving to a place of, of, of a sweet 
sense of character that is only possible while Holy Spirit is working through our lives. And then the idea of the fig tree where the, the leaves were supposed to shadow the figs, yet on this tree specifically as Jesus was talking, there, were no, there was no fruit. There was just leaves. It was hiding the fruit. And in this whole context, he was giving these men an understanding that we, all of us, have and we have a responsibility to produce something that actually has fruit, not just a facade, not just something that looks like it is, but it isn't. Now, I wish I had more time to talk about that, but I don't. You can read about it all through um, the New Testament. Look it up in, in the book of of Luke there, the Gospel of Luke. Here is what I have faith for, that the well we draw from, that the well you draw from and I draw from makes us sweeter. I want you and I to get sweeter, to be my very best, not at 40, but at 75 and at 80 and 85, to continue to get sweeter and sweeter, just like our dear Florence Every year that I know her, she just keeps getting sweeter and sweeter, like Nana, like others in this room. Who's with me? There's something about it where it doesn't have to, we don't have to reach, uh, uh, reach the, the mountaintop of sweetness in, in, in middle age, and then it goes another direction. We can get sweeter and sweeter and sweeter till we end up in eternity with Christ, and that is my desire. Can you imagine if we all yielded to Jesus and our goal was to focus on him and not just try harder and harder in our own strength where the cross of Jesus has saturated our bitter water and now what flows out of us is the sweet character of Christ. That's my prayer. The power of words will change the trajectory of our life and our future. I must say that this was modeled for me so well. And my dad's in, this, in the room this morning. He is, he is a much sweeter soul than I am at times. And he helped to characterize this for me. And I pray that all of us have examples like this, even if it was not your reality growing up, that today you would find sweetness of character and you would surround yourself with people like that in order to learn from and glean from and receive from the sweetness of the Spirit that is manifest in their life. My prayer is that all of us will be like this. Just imagine if, if all of CLA started to talk sweet because of the convictions and the goodness of Jesus was made real in our lives in a supernatural way. Now this isn't this isn't me being hopeful in, in a silly way. I'm, I'm actually being really sincere about this. Where the words that we say and the attitude that we project towards each other truly manifests the character of God. The, 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 the ideas that we consider to be a part of as a church are wrapped in this, this sweet spirit of Jesus. Now, it's easier said than done. 
and I get that. But I'm still very, very hopeful that our church it will continue to pivot towards something so healthy, so life-giving, so thriving, so that when people drink from the well of CLA, it will taste sweet. I say that prophetically, and I say that with hope in my heart that that is where we are going as a church. As I mentioned, the fig tree as well. Lots of leaves, but no figs. It looks and acts like it's fruitful, but it's not. James is referencing that God would rather you hot or cold not to pretend, but to be authentic in who you are. And James again ends this gospel in those two verses that I started with. Let's read them together. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other and treating one another with dignity and honor. Do you know what the definition of our ministry is? The ministry that God calls all followers of Jesus to be a part of here on earth. I think the one, the one thing that defines how we serve Jesus, we have a ministry and a lifestyle and a service called, one word, reconciliation. That is our mandate. Reconciliation. Are we bringing people together? CLA exists to bring people together, not to tear people apart. That is our mandate. We might have different strategies to see how this unfolds, but I believe as we unite as a church, he's going to bring us together with something so beautiful to be a part of, to invest into, to run towards so that we can truly be who Jesus has called us to be. The idea is not just to meet on Sunday mornings like this. But if we open our hearts and our homes and our dinner tables and our families to each other and we start to live and do life with one another, the Bible says how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It is there where God commands a blessing. Right there. It doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. It's certainly, I know that that's almost impossible. But that's okay. Because it means that all we have to do is understand that we're in this together and that each and every one of us deserved, deserves dignity and honor from one another. And if we can go with that approach and that demeanor, then we will thrive, I promise you, as a church. I believe that those applications are happening right now. And they are different and they are varied in, in nature, as different as every single person is in this room, as you think about this, the application for your own life 
as you consider what this means for you, what this means for your marriage, for your children, for your influence as a follower of Christ. God is saying, this is what this means for you, and this is what this means for you, and this is what this means for you. I pray that that is what's happening even right now. That's not for me to to tell you how this applies. James, James is hard. And when he's talking about our words and about wisdom and about building a lasting family, he makes it challenging. But man, sometimes it's important to be challenged, who agrees? It's important to think about things that that make us uncomfortable. I want that for all of us so that it will produce life change. We can develop healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if we do the hard work of getting along with each other. Why? Because we are endeavoring to do the hard work of getting along with each other. And wisdom comes from those choices. It comes from above. And we can only get there by focusing on Jesus. It starts in our homes, and it continues into this community, and then into the rest of our life. Let's bow our heads this morning. I want to pray for each and every one of us. If this is um, if this is a moment for you where you uh, are are recognizing that your journey with with the Lord is is not what you desire it to be. I believe that it that in this moment, the Lord is desiring to come and just wrap his arms around you to bring healing and hope to your life. And as we're in this posture, all of us are receiving, whether you're in the room or you're watching or listening through the different avenues, would we all just take this moment right now to to ask the Lord to search our heart Search our heart, God. See if there's any offensive ways in us. Reveal those things so that we may become, we may become new through the posture of, of asking for forgiveness and turning our hearts towards you and recognizing that in our own strength we cannot achieve this. Lord, where we see things through a lens of tradition or a lens of what we're used to or what we're comfortable with. Lord, some of those things are so powerful and beautiful and and I believe represent your heart. And would those things remain in us from this day forward? But God, if there are those things that we're holding on to for no other reason then just holding on to it because of preference or because it makes us feel good or because it's, what, it's all we know or what we're used to. Lord, give us the courage to release that 
to you, to release it back to you, to put it at your feet and say, take it, take it from me so that I can be wide open to, to brand new. Lord, I'm asking this for my life, my own life, where I'm allowing these things, Lord, to, to overshadow the beauty of who you're desiring for us to be today, for my life to be today, and, f- and moving forward, God, would you reveal that in my own heart this morning? Lord, I pray that you would protect us all from unforgiveness, from bitterness, from, from seeing, seeing something through a lens that, that is never what you desired. Would you give us courage to seek out those that we need to make things right with? Would you give us an understanding and a perspective on where we move towards and down a path that isn't leading towards life or to health or to a thriving future? You can do that, Holy Spirit. You can, you can speak into those moments so clearly. And God, for those who are feeling so far away from you today, would you wrap your arms around each one? And breathe life into us as we sang earlier. It's your breath in our lungs, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs that creates the pureness of who you are, that produces your character through our lives. We pour out our heart to you today. I just pray for these things, Lord. Help us to tame our tongue. Help us to to produce to produce sweet, a sweet, sweet spirit, each of us, that the sweetness of you would be what comes off of our lives. I thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.